All right, just automatically turn to Proverbs 22. We're going to get right into it this morning. There's so many. There's so many good ones. And yeah, yet there's a lot of repetition too. I'm sure you saw that. So, right, Proverbs 22 is starting with verse 17. Pay attention. <laughs> Pay attention and listen. Another reminder of Solomon. Uh, and I even asked you that in the first question. What does he want us to make sure we're doing? What does the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, that I keep reiterating to you over and over, he keeps saying, now, be careful, be careful to pay attention to what you have learned and what you are hearing because... Um, you don't, you just don't want to forget this. You want to keep going over it, pay attention, listen, but then he uses another word. And that's why if you do this, the writer of Hebrews says, you will not drift. You won't drift. And when you don't want to drift, that's negative because where are you going to drift to? If you just start going, because you know what drift means. It means, you know, you're just like picture on a river. You're going to drift according to the current. And so you will just automatically just go. And that's why that word, when the Hebrew writer used it, it was, it's so, it's so understandable. If you don't work and cling to God's spirit and his word, you are going to drift. And where are you going to automatically, where's your automatic current? to your own self and to your own way of thinking and what everybody else is doing and saying. And, and you're going to watch that old nature. And, and that's the whole point of this. That's why I said the goal is to be like Jesus, to see less and less of ourself and see more of his character. And so pay attention, keep listening, go over it, but also apply I mean, we could walk out of here today saying, oh, wasn't that a good lesson? Oh, man, all fired up. Get in your car, go back into your life, and if you don't apply what you've learned, you just wasted your time this morning because it is a full circle kind of thing. You first have to listen. You then learn. You pay attention and listen. You learn, and you think, yep, that's that he's talking to me here. I got, I need that little sharp edge to be, to be softened. I need to hear that. But then you've got to apply it, or it's not, it's not going to take root. And then when you really need it, the Holy Spirit won't be able to help you recall it and do it. So, okay, pay attention, listen, apply. Four. And now he's going to say why that's such a good idea to do that. Why it's worth the effort and the work. And it, how, it, how worth it it is to put yourself aside and to do it God's way instead of what you want to do. Here's the reason why it's pleasing. It is pleasing. Not only to God, but to you. Isn't it pleasing when you know you held your mouth, when, you, when the old nature would have really said a few things? Don't you just love it when you did it the right way and you know it and, and you know what your old nature would have automatically done if you had been drifting and left to that current of self. And so this is why he says, look at how much better it is for you. It's pleasing to you. It's pleasing to God. 
And also, look at he says, it's pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips. When you, you know, on your lips, they're the right words instead of maybe your Oh, your feeling words. I mean, what would maybe you have a tendency to just want to blurt out, but the right words when you when you pay attention and you listen and you apply. Oh, it feels so good to say the right thing at the right time at the right place, so that your trust may be in the Lord. Oh, you can't go fast with these couple of verses because, you know, Solomon, he gives you such great advice, but then this time he goes on to explain it. He goes, he says, this is the reason for, look, not only do you feel right about about doing the right thing at the right time at the right place, but it also means that you are trusting the Lord to keep feeding you and keep helping you remember what's right and to live righteously why he came to save you in the first place so that you would live right, that you would talk right, that you would act right. And then he says, look, I teach you today. And if this didn't hit you, I mean, you could not look at that line and have, especially after you've just done the previous lines there, and he says, I am giving you good teaching. And who is he saying it to? I'm teaching you. And and because Solomon knows us so well that inevitably we're probably thinking when we're doing these, boy, am I glad so-and-so is here because they really needed to hear that. They have got such a problem with... blurting out things and they don't they don't have any filter at all and and so our mind goes right away to someone else or or you think man too bad the weather was bad because so and so really should I heard that today and you know I mean it's so and so Solomon says I'm gonna make sure that you know that this is for you. I'm teaching you this today. You're the one that needs it. And then he even goes even you, just in case you missed it, he says it again, just almost picture, and I know that some of you are really experiencing this, and I, am, I think this study is really hitting home because so many of you are telling me, I feel like I'm the only one in the room sometime, that this is so direct that it's hitting me, that that's just like Solomon, you know, through the Lord is just hitting me right where I had a rough edge and didn't even realize that I was was drifting in that area. And so um, anyway, just to see that line and to re- remind ourselves that, yes, he is talking to each one of us personally. And then have I not written 30 sayings for you? Have I not written 30 sayings? Now, I don't know whether these 30 sayings are 30 things that he wants us to see from this, from his verse 17 to the end of 24, or if he's got 30 categories in Proverbs that he just keeps, to, you know, um, you know, how should I put it? Um, he, he's got, he's got 30, you know, things that he's talking about, but he says it in different ways and different times, and he keeps bringing it up. I'm not sure what the 30 actually means, but to him, he knows what he said. I've taught you 30 things 
you know, whether it's 30 specific things or 30 categories, that's the word I was looking for, or 30 categories that he said, I will every once in a while keep reminding you of one of every one of those 30 categories. I'm not quite sure, but apparently he says, I've got enough for you to think about. I got enough for you to see. Oh, yes. Did you have an idea? So you, your version didn't even put a number in there. Okay, yes. Yeah, because it really it is excellent. Uh, that, um, yeah, different translations, but that probably is a better way. So you're not counting, but, but yet every word, every proverb is excellent teaching. So thanks for that. So have I not written 30 sayings for you or excellent sayings for you? Sayings of counsel and knowledge, teaching you true and reliable words. Oh, I keep thinking, why would we want to study anything else? Why would we not hear the word saying the word is near you? That's what Paul said, the word is near you. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. The word that he's talking about is this word. The words of God are reliable and true. So if you're going to take the time to study, if you're going to take a morning or an evening of your week, and if you're going to give him a section of your day every day, wouldn't you rather, I mean, that's a lot of sacrificial time. That, you know, that's the way we think sometimes. Wouldn't we want to spend our time in a book that's reliable and true, that every word in it is his? And by the way, Joyce, that what you gave me last week to read about, about that Second Timothy verse, about God's word being God-breathed, every word of it, that was so good. Now, teaching you true and reliable words so that you can give sound answers. Oh, man, I, if someone's got a question, I would much rather have said, well, the Bible says, and then tell what the Bible says than, than shooting them off my opinion, which they could shoot cannons through, and everybody's got one. So who do you believe nowadays? Everybody's got differences of opinion so if someone's going to ask you a question, if, wouldn't you want a sound answer? And the sound answer is from a word that's reliable and true, the Bible says. And, and then what they do with it is up to them, but at least you know your answer was right on and sound. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court. I mean, you read that and you think, that's just so cruel. Who in the world would do that? Who would actually exploit the poor, a down and out? You know, but sometimes you would be surprised when self gets in the way. We can get a little feeling of a little better than, you know, and that's exploiting somebody. And poor doesn't just mean um, money-wise. Sometimes they're, they're poor in other ways, maybe it's spiritually. Maybe, maybe they don't know what you know, and it's just, uh, it, I think Psalm is, 
is just warning us, just be careful how it easy it is to think maybe you know a little more or you're just a little better. And I know that sounds horrible, but self is horrible. And it sneaks in even when we think it's not going to, but it does. For the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. But I did think back of the early church. And and he's saying, you know, instead of exploiting the poor, help them. Help them out. See if you can, can maybe make things better for them. I mean, when you go to Acts 2 and you heard about the church, I love the line where it says there wasn't a need in the place. Everybody, everybody's needs were met. You know, and, and God used people. I mean, look at when Barnabas sold. I can just, I can just about picture Barnabas. When, when God came to Barnabas through the Holy Spirit saying, you know, Barnabas, you really don't need, you got plenty. You don't need that piece of property. You don't need that land. Do you see all these people here that need things? And Barnabas, because he had the heart, because he listened to the Proverbs, because he wants to be used by the Lord after all what the Lord had done for him. He's, he wants to be pliable in his hands. He wants to be able to say that when the Lord said, I will supply all your needs. You know, again, he doesn't send money out of heaven. He doesn't throw chicken casseroles out of heaven. He doesn't, he doesn't send notes out of heaven. He uses his children. And so when Barnabas said, okay, and he sold the property, can you believe what that did for the needs? And that's the way people worked. Instead of exploiting, they helped out. So there wasn't a need in the place. And if you don't do it, the Lord will see to it someone else does, and you're going to miss the blessing. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with the one easily angered. Or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. <laughs> Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man or woman. Have you ever been with someone who's just, I mean, short-fused? I mean, they're mad all the time. I mean, it's, it's not only difficult to be with them, but they can be so, so blunt and, and boisterous. And, and before you know, what, what's the warning he says? You know, you might not have come mad, but you were going to leave mad. I mean, it's, it's that kind of influence. That, it's that kind of temperament that, believe it or not, can rub off on you. And it says, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Just a warning. Do not be a man who strikes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Every once in a while, Solomon will just kind of uh, shoot in. A, this is, I think, is one of his categories about you know how to how are you using your money? How how are you? Um, to me, that verse is: Are you living within your means? Um, are you are you one to go for rich quick schemes? Uh, do you bet? You know this kind of thing. He says, "I'm warning you against that kind of thing." And live within your means because I don't think he uses the word bankruptcy, but yet when he says your very bed will be snatched from under you. I mean, I think that's pretty much what he's saying. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. I had to look that up. I didn't quite know what that meant. Um, uh, but apparently when you were given 
land, when land was distributed, there would be people, there would be some that would, in the night, would move the stakes. Would move the stakes a foot over, thinking, oh, they'll never know, and then I have this much... But uh, Thursday, I had a lady that said to me that she that they had a neighbor that did that one night, that that moved the the metal stakes and wanted an extra foot on their property for whatever reason, and thought they would never know. So apparently, yep, this still is going on. And and really, what does that mean? Not just for property. I think it says you know respect the contract that you signed. You know, if you've, if you've signed a contract saying this is how much I paid for, this is, just obey your contract. You know, this sneaking kind of stuff, it's another lesson on honesty. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. Again, out of nowhere, he then shoots another proverb, one of his other categories about, you know what? I, I don't want you lazy. I, I want to make sure that you have a good work ethic, that you have a good attitude. No matter what you've been called to do, I, I, I really appreciated the line we said, he will serve before kings. When you do your job, like the Bible says, with the attitude of Christ, and you are doing it for him, no matter what the job is, it's, it's a job that should be done for his glory. You are doing it for him. You're using the gifts and the abilities and the strength, a healthy body, or whatever that he has given you, that we all have our jobs to do all for one cause, all for, all for him. So I think he's just trying to remind us, what's your attitude like? How do you come to work every day? You know, I, I might have told you this, but that I'll never forget that lady that came because this really got to her. She said, you know, I work in a, I work in a greenhouse. And she says, I, I, when I go in the morning, I, I want to make sure that, yes, I've got my attitude right and I'm doing everything meticulously. And she says, but by the end of the day, I'm tired and I don't care and I'm just chopping away. And, he's, and, and she says, I just think about how my job at the end of the day is not done to the best of my ability. You know, and she says, I just needed a, an, an attitude check here that the Lord sees. And I think these are such good, relevant reminders. Be the best you can be. Okay, when you sit to dine with a ruler, know well what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Oh, oh dear, I, I, th I didn't know how far to go with this one because I could just, this is so, this is so, this is such good advice. You know, when someone invites you over, because now, I think one, two, and three, and six, seven, and eight, I'm going to read that too. I think they're similar. And then so, then I'm only going to explain it once. So, do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink. He says to you, but his heart is not with you. And then get this, you will, you will vomit up the little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. He is warning, he is saying that sometimes if you don't know the person real well and yet you 
you just got the visual of what they look like on the outside. And, and someone, you think they're important, and then they invite you over, and you think, wow, I, didn't, I never thought that I'd be invited over. Um, and have you ever been invited to somebody's house thinking that this was going to be, oh, I just feel so good, and they've laid out a banquet, and, oh, and, and then all of a sudden they bring an easel out to show you. So the whole reason for you being invited was not because they want you. They want your business. And so he's just saying, and the, the sad thing is, if you've been, been um, kind of caught in that, you know, I've even asked sometime when someone, because I might have learned, it's happened to me so many times, that I've even asked saying, are you going to try to sell me? Oh, no, 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 <laughs> nothing like that. And by cracky, they will. <laughs> Off they come with that. I think this is what he's talking about. Be careful that when, when people call you, and if you don't know them well, just, you know, we live in a sinful world or we live in a, a, a self-centered and, um, oh, yeah, it's deceitful. And, and people, you know, they've got their best interests in mind and they don't really care who they got to step on or what they have to do to get there. So, I mean, he's just kind of warning us not everybody's heart has the right intention. And, and you know, I, this whole thing about, because I thought this was kind of morbid, you will vomit up the little you have eaten. Let's say you went there and you're still under the assumption that they want you because uh, you're, you're such a good person, such a good friend and all that. And so you're eating from the, the nice little table of food that they have. And then out it comes and then oh, you just almost want to get sick. You want you know what? I'm taken again. And it almost almost makes you ill. See, I, I think this really makes sense. And and this is real living, unfortunately. Okay, now, but look at look at, at that middle part. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. What a different way to say, you can't take it with you. I mean, we all have heard that phrase over and over. And now I'm going to start to say, oh, do you know that money can just sprout wings and fly off in the sky like an eagle? I mean, he just wants us to make sure because there are sometimes when he talks about work and that it's important that we all do something um, that we don't always just think about ourselves. I mean, it's... Do you know a person that just sits and all they do is think about themselves? I mean, it's so unfortunate and what they're missing out of life and how you talk about drifting. Oh, it's really, it's really quite sad. And so that's what Solomon said. You got to, anything to get your mind off yourself, to get busy doing for, it'll, it'll be so much better for everybody. So he is always talking about doing something. But now he said there's a fine line, though. There's a fine line because a lot of times it's when you're young and you're strong and you got the world by the tail and you're looking at the Joneses and you want this toy or you want this big. And, and, and so you then have a tendency to know that this takes money. So then phew, I got to make it. 
And before you know it, you've turned into a workaholic. And I think this, these verses, he's saying, do not worry yourself out to get rich. Have the, re- have, have the wisdom to show restraint. Because, you know, we have all been through enough to know that a recession, a depression, anything can hit. And what was once secure is not. Nothing of this world is secure. And so he's just kind of shooting another one, one of those warnings, saying if you put all your eggs in one basket and it all pertains to the things of this world, I mean, it can be gone. And even if it's not gone here, you can't take it with you. And then in verse 9, do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. I think if you need another verse that pertains to that is don't cast pearls before swine. Have you ever tried to talk sensibly and biblically and spiritually to someone? And I guess the only thing I could think of is I have given um, many interviews, you know, newspaper your journalists will call and say, you know, would like to do an article, you know. And I can, t- I can tell right away, if, if I've got a journalist that's a Christian, that I, if I'm talking and I make a statement and they understand what I'm talking about, I know that this article, they'll quote me for what, for what I mean. But if I, if I, and I've done plenty of these, I can tell right away that they, I make a statement, they look at me, and I know, because I've even said, now I want you to write that down just the way I said it. Because if you interpret it and put it into your words, I have read way too many things that I said that I never did. Because they took it wrong. Because they don't get it. They don't know what you mean. Have you ever said this to somebody who doesn't know the Lord in in a true, real way? When you said to them, Oh, isn't it good and a good reminder when we hear James say, consider pure joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of many kinds. I need that reminder. I need James and Paul to tell me, consider joy. Rejoice when suffering comes because the Lord is up to something that I could look at my suffering knowing that he's got a purpose here. But you say that to someone, they think you are out to lunch somewhere. They don't, they heck, what do you mean consider pure joy when trials come? See, a fool is someone who doesn't know God's word. They don't know God. They don't know what the word says. They don't know what he promised. They don't know that God's purpose is to turn us into the likeness of his son, and that's, that's a project. Do not move an ancient boundary stone. There we go again. Or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Don't even think about taking advantage of somebody. Apply your heart to instruction. <laughs> Here again, we just read it a few verses before, and he's saying it again. Don't just pay attention. Don't just listen. Don't just learn. I want you to apply it. I want you to work this. Apply your heart to instruction in your ears to listen to the words of knowledge. 
And you know it's Solomon. The warning talks about disciplining. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he won't die. You know, that made me smile because when I was a kid, did you ever get one of these for a gift? It was a paddle with a red ball with a string that you went like that. I never knew how to take that because I knew there'd be about 10 minutes of fun with that thing. And then the string would break and then the paddle would go in the drawer for another purpose. Now, you know, this paddle in the drawer... Now, my mom and dad didn't have to crack me with that thing too many times. They, they did my brothers because I learned quick that when my mom or dad started walking toward that door drawer, I knew what that meant. And so, and, and you know what, to this day, I look at my brothers and we talk and we laugh about that paddle. And as much as we thought that our parents were mean, we all, now that we're adults, it's so fun to get together because every one of us will finally say, we had every one of them coming. Every time they brought, got that paddle out, we had it coming. You know, they, they were, it's just like, were we warned? Yes, we were warned before they took that walk to the drawer. We were warned. And if we don't, what, listen and learn and apply, out comes the paddle. <laughs> so, see, this makes perfect sense. Not only literally discipline is important, but it makes sense about why the Lord does what he warns us. And if you don't listen, if you don't learn, you don't apply, he's going to throw it at you again. He's going to say, guess what? There's consequences. You are going to learn this. You're my child. And parents teach children because they need to be taught because they're not born bad. They're not born good. They're born bad. So when he says, don't withhold discipline, punish him with a rod, he won't die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. You know, you could look at that and say, well, that's a little melodramatic, Solomon. I don't think so. He's saying discipline is so important because if you don't teach them right from wrong, if you don't teach them God's word and God's principles, if you don't at least show them that there's a choice then of what they, that they can choose right or wrong, you at least got to show them and live it out. You know, and I'm sure I've said this before, but, you know, the one thing that I just keep remembering is that what I had to tell Jason one time, I had to tell him, you know, when I said no, and of course, kids hate to hear you say no, especially when, when all their other friends, according to them, you're the only oddball in the, in the bunch. You're the only mother that would think of saying no. All the other kids have nice moms, and you know, uh, you hear it all. But I'll never forget in this one instance where, you know, I said to him, I said, Jason, I just got to tell you about a man named Ted Bundy. And I know this sounds melodramatic, but the truth is, is that this serial killer interviewed and said that it started with a simple thought, a simple thought, a picture in his mind. And then that went into um, pursuing to see it actually in books. And then, then that, that longing, it just drew him into a more severe, then he's acting it out. See, he, he, 
my goal is to work on your heart because then when your heart is right, it will cause your mind to make better decisions so that that what comes out of you will be the right actions. And if I don't start working on your heart, According to him, it started out, no one told him. I said, maybe if Ted Bundy's mom had said no, he couldn't go to that R-rated movie when he was too young for it. Maybe that thought wouldn't have gotten into his mind that then went into pictures and that went into a deeper sense that pretty soon, all of a sudden, it came out in action. And then he was, then he was trapped. And then he had a longing. He had an addiction. And I remember him saying, one R-rated movie is not going to turn me into a serial killer. And I said, you know what? <laughs> Probably not, but I'm not taking the chance. Not on my watch. I'm not going to allow you to, to do what I know is going to hurt you in the long run. You know, and you got to take it under the chin. You are not going to be popular. But when I read that, Solomon is melodramatic as what you might, might think he is. He's saying, if you don't catch it, if you don't do it, I mean, if, if they constantly get away with thinking that they can do this, it's just going to get worse. And you know, it, it, is, it is truth. You could save his soul from death, eternal death. My son, if your heart is wise, and, and look how beautiful Solomon then takes that hard teaching and then talks to the son, saying, my son, if your heart is wise, if you make right choices, if you see why I had to say no, if you see that it was for your good, if your heart is wise, I want you to know that my heart will be glad because I did my job. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Lesson learned. Lesson taught. Lesson learned. And lesson applied. Right response. Right action. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Look at verse two, 1 of chapter 24. Do not envy wicked men. And I know that that's another thing you think. Why would I? Why would I envy wicked men? Why would I let my heart envy sinners? You know, it's because he chooses the word sinners and he used the word wicked that right away we turn off to thinking, no, I I would never envy someone like an Adolf Hitler. You know, but a sinner and wicked is any time the person isn't following God's will. And that can be the company that you're keeping. That can be the group of friends or whatever that you go out with. And you think, you know, oh, who's going to see or who's going to know? And, you know, come on, we're just going to have some fun. And, and uh, or the grass always looks greener. And we always think that, oh, if I, if I just had what they had, oh, if I, oh, life would be so much easier. And I would be so, I would just be content if I had that. I mean, don't think that we haven't done this. These are things, he said, don't envy the wicked. 
Don't look at someone thinking that what they have or who they've who they are. He says, I want you to know that you have something so much better. Okay, maybe it's going to look fun. Maybe it's going to look like, um, oh, that's where I'm going to get contentment. That's where I'm going to get satisfied. I mean, we know better than that. Nothing of this world gives you content. Maybe for five, ten minutes. Remember I used to tell you about the sofa that I waited and waited for? I thought for sure, oh, when I, when we were, I got a new sofa and I had to order it. I had to wait six to eight weeks. And when it came, it was just perfect. And I put blankets on it and plastic on it. No one could sit on it. You know, I mean, it's just, it was so perfect. And I just loved it. And it gave me such a happiness. And it fit the room just so perfectly. And, oh, my goodness. And finally, once the newness and the the plastic came off, and, and then the kids were on it, and they spilled. And before you know it, guess what? What made me so happy and what was so perfect. Material, and that's such a silly little story, but yet it just shows us how we think that material, it will content us for a little while. But nothing of this world will content you. And this is what Salma is just trying to say. Don't envy all the stuff and the things and everything. Because what you have, and that's why we sang what we did this morning. You have something that is far better than silver or gold or houses or lands. But... Do you really, would you really rather have Jesus than any of that? And that's what Psalm says. I just want to make sure that you are thinking about that because, boy, it sure does look tempting. It sure, you know, that envy, oh, if I just had. He said, that sneaks in. It sneaks into the best of people. Listen, my son, and be wise and keep your heart on the right path. How, how do you do that? It all sound, it sounds good, Solomon. You bet. I want to stay on the right path. I want to be wise. I want to make right choices. I want to make right decisions. And so he says, okay, then keep your heart on the right path. Okay, how do I do that? How do you do that? How do you keep your heart on the right, right path when this world and your own self just is such a pull? It's like that big, heavy current that wants to take you on the inner tube, and you just are pulled in that. Okay, how do I stay on the right path? How do I keep swimming against that current? What's the answer? You have to. It takes work. Okay, now, this is, you watch. He's going to explain that in a minute. Keep your heart right. Um, keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on mead, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness, drowsiness clothes them in rags. I mean, he eventually, I mean, it's just again a reminder. He says, I know it all looks great right now. It looks the easy way of living, but you know what? <laughs> Sometimes expensive living and expensive habits turns around and makes you poor. I mean, it's just a warning. Now watch. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth. Buy the truth and do not sell it. I thought to myself, you can't buy this. 
But see, my mind automatically went to forking out um, some dollar bills. And, you know, that would be the easy way. Oh, if we could just really buy wisdom, you know, take out the checkbook. Oh, that would be easy. But when he says buy wisdom, he's saying it costs a lot. Wisdom costs a lot. And what, how, do, how, how do you buy it? If it costs a lot, how do you buy it? What does it take to get wisdom? It takes time. It takes effort. It takes, it's, it takes study time when maybe you would like to do this or when you feel you're too busy and you can't, you don't. No, you have to buy this. It costs a lot. It costs a lot of your time and effort and desire and selflessness. That's a big cost. Denying yourself. He said, but buy it. It is worth it. Take, do whatever it takes to get it. Buy wisdom and don't sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. Oh, this is, you know, to have the wisdom to make right choices and right decisions. And you, th- you think before you speak. The countenance that you wear when you don't even open your mouth, when you're, in a, when you're in a place where you don't even say anything but your countenance. And I still go back to the radiancy of Stephen, like a light was around him. Like Peter and John, when they said they could tell, they could tell that they'd been with Jesus. Even pagan people can tell something different about you. When you buy this wisdom and you don't sell it, and you're willing to be disciplined, you're willing to to do the cost, count the cost and say it's worth it. I mean, I know I say this all the time too, but, but people will say, I just wish I knew my Bible the way you do. I had somebody call me this Saturday, never been called this before, called me Miss Walking Bible. <laughs> and, and I know she meant it in jest, but down deep, I think she kind of knew that there was something of substance here. Again, sound answers, sound talk, because the words are reliable and true. If I'm going to speak, I'm going to tell you something that's reliable and true and that you can, that's got sound answers. But how do you get that? I don't have any high education that I paid big money for college and seminary. No, I have the same Holy Spirit that you do. I have the same 24 hours in a day that you do. And I think Solomon's just trying to say, are you willing to buy this wisdom? To your point, and you've got to share that because this spoke to me. This morning in class, we studied Joseph. You know, his daughter just said, you studied him? And she was quoting the book of Ruth. She was quoting a prayer book, and she was quoting Joseph. She said, I could have written these books about Joseph. And she said, um, you know, this one will change your life. This one will. Oh, my goodness. 
That is such a good story, Linda. Thanks. Right. She, isn't she has learned. Someone taught her. She has experienced this. That that she can. You know, I always say you can read other books. I mean, you. But don't ever live there. Don't dwell there. You know, you can entertain yourself with them. But she experienced, she was willing to say, yes, I wrote this book, but I couldn't have written this book if it hadn't been for this book. And, and if you write a book to help people learn how to study this book, then I say more power to you. But that was very wise of her to know, you know, you can, you can trust this book. You, you can... But, it, you know, she would probably be the first to say, I wouldn't have been able to write these words and know the truth of, the, of, my, of what I'm writing if I hadn't studied this book. This is the book that turned it all on for me. Exactly. And so if you get, if you get called Miss Walking Bible ever, count it, count it a, a privilege because you are learning from a book that will give you reliable, truthful, sound answers on how people and how I should live. So just know that it's possible for anybody and everybody. It's just how much do you want to buy? How much do you want to buy? If you give God his time, he'll see to it that you have enough time for all the things that you need to do. Right. It's really true. Yep. Your dad was a very wise man. All right. Now, may your father and mother be glad. May you who, who gave you birth rejoice. My son, give me your heart, verse 26, and let your eyes keep to my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit. A wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit, she lies in wait and multiplies the unfaithful among men. He just uses prostitute as an example, as one of the many traps. I wrote the word trap by that section of verses because he's saying, I'm warning you that this world is full of traps. And you think you are, and don't you like, I appreciate the way he described him, deep pit, narrow well. So does that sound like something you can jump out of quickly? No. So that description shows you that it's a trap that will hold you. So he says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways because I'm telling you, it's a, it's a mean world out there that appeals to your flesh and wants to drift you right into its trap. And then it's got you. And then look, verse 29, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who who has needless bruises? He's basically saying, come on, we all have problems. Life is hard for everybody. But Psalm is saying, okay, life is hard. Pressure is hard. Stress. I mean, that's all you hear about nowadays. But the thing is, I don't think the Lord ever intended for families to be running around like chickens without heads. The world has gotten so, so 
busy and as has and you fed into the lies that my kids need all this and I need to be doing all this and all and you have got no one sits around no one has time to sit around the table anymore I mean everybody you're throwing a piece of bread and a sandwich here you know everybody's catching it you're riding riding through a drive through here I mean it has just gotten way out of hand. And he's saying everybody is feeling the effects of pressure and stress. And everybody is just running around like a chicken without a head. And by the end of the day, he says, how are you going to handle it? Everybody's got problems. How are you handling it? And he's saying, okay, now, not a whole lot of choices here. You do it your way or God's way. And look at your way that gets sucked up into the traps of life. And then he uses this. And, and again, I, I know I, I'm laughing a little because of, of who I talked to this morning. We talked on this subject a little bit. And every, you know, I'm sure many of you, moderation, um, you see nothing wrong with this. And, and hey, this is between you and the Lord. But the thing is, I think when we're watching Solomon say this is a big enough problem that we have to we have to bring it up every now and then because it's a trap that a lot of people fall into. No, not everybody, but a lot of people that it's worth because stress and pressure is everywhere and people handle it all different. And unfortunately, there's so many traps that they have a hard time getting out of. Because look at he says, those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls, bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Solomon is saying, I know that at the end of the day, it seems, oh, I deserve this. I've got this coming. Look, it tastes so good. It goes right down and, oh, it feels so good. It just relaxes me. Do you hear that sometimes? And, and Solomon says, you've got to be careful because maybe, again, for some, but I just have lived with this and I know that some just can't even handle it. It always looks good and it makes them feel so relaxed and it, I just deserve this. And, and then he goes on, he says, look, at in the end it bites like a snake, it poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. Have you ever seen anybody who's trapped in alcoholism? I mean, you are, you know, that they have to use this artificial means. If it's not alcohol, it's, it's drugs. It's some other means that they have to numb themselves from the problems of reality because I just deserve it because it's just so much. And so when he says it's going to come back and bite you like a snake, I mean, I mean, in the morning you wake up and you can't even see straight and you got this pounding headache and you just feel awful. And, but even more serious than that, have you ever seen anybody who has had to come through withdrawal? Have you ever seen somebody go through the DTs? Then I, I have. And it says your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine it, confusing things. It is unbelievable to watch somebody, what's going on in their mind, what they see, what they feel is on them. It is unbelievable. And Solomon is saying, I'm just telling you, why even go there? If life is too pressured, if you're too stressed, then something's out of whack. 
something is wrong with your heart. Something's wrong with your clinging to, to Jesus. There's something wrong with how you spend your 24 hours in the day. There's something wrong with where you're getting your strength. He says, you'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. Oh, yeah, that, that feels so good. That feels so good. I don't even feel. I don't even feel anything. I'm just kind of in euphoria. Oh, this is wonderful. Well, then look at he says, when, when will I wake up so I could find another drink? See? Gotcha. The trap. I love verse t- 3 of verse tw- of chapter 24. Look at this. By wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. If you look at that and you it says by wisdom a house is built. If you look at that house as being you if you look at that, that when you start to listen to God's wisdom and you pay attention and you listen and you learn and you start obeying and applying it and you find that your life is changing and you're being transformed, you're starting to see yourself and all of a sudden you're starting to do things righteously. You're doing it the right way. You're watching your mouth. All these kinds of things. You're watching the changes. Wisdom does that. It builds a house. It's like, it's like you're building a new house. Wisdom takes that old nature and, and pitches it, and you're building a new house. Doing it God's way. You're building a whole different house, and, and through understanding, it is established. And the more that you can remember when, when Solomon said that even those who are wise, what? Keep getting wiser. There's always more. There's always more. And so the more, the more that you understand, the more that you get this, the, the more that it becomes a part of you, you get established. And I love that word, established, because that means you can't push me over. I've got roots that are down. You might be able to cut me under the chin a few times, but I'm coming back up because I'm established. I'm steadfast. I'm sure. Wisdom, look at how what wisdom do. No wonder it's better than silver or gold. Because wisdom builds a whole new house. And the more that you take the time and buy into it, the more that you establish it. And what else? Through knowledge, its rooms are filled do you know that your heart has rooms? I love that study we did once quickly in the summer or whatever when we studied about the kitchen area of our heart, the bedroom area of our heart, the living room of our heart. Because our heart has different categories. How, what, well, what am I like in the kitchen? What am I eating and drinking? What am I like in the living room? What's, what material is on my coffee table? What am I watching on TV? Okay, what's going on in the bedroom? Might as well say it. I mean, these kinds of things he's saying, he says, I want you to know that when you, are, when you build a house, a new house, and it is established, you are filling your heart that will affect every area, every room in it. 
with rare and beautiful treasures, not stuff that you're trying to hide. But your house is filled with rare and beautiful treasures. A wise man has great power and a man of knowledge increases strength. For waging war, you need guidance and for victory, many advisors. He's saying, you know what? We're in a war. It's a constant battle of self and, and the Lord's wisdom and Sometimes I just don't get it. Sometimes I need something re-explained. Sometimes I just need to know how to apply this. Um, what does he say? This is war. Sometimes you and I need what? We need help. We need, we need counsel. We need advice. We need, and he's saying, go find it. For waging war, you need guidance. You're waging a war. Old, new nature, it's a constant war. You need guidance. And for victory, many advisors. I mean, I, I like thinking you need guidance. Well, go to his word. You need many advisors. I think of how many, how many writers wrote this book, and they all seem to be saying the same thing under the power of that same Holy Spirit. So to me, that's your ultimate. You need help. You need guidance. Well, go to the book that's reliable and true. You need, it. You need um, many advisors. Well, guess what? I'm finding that Paul says the same thing. John says the same thing. Peter says the same thing. Because Jesus said the same thing. And if you think the more that you hear people saying the same thing. You, and then I'm watching Paul's life and Stephen's life. I guess it's proof it works. I want that. But if, if you need somebody in a visible sense, if you need an actual person, oh, be careful who you're asking. I remember I used to ask one particular person because I knew she would say what I wanted her to do. And it was so easy to go to her because if I said it was red, even though it was blue, she'd say, it's red. Now, that was not good for me. And so you need to go to somebody who will love you enough to want your best and what is your best? Your best is getting you into what God's word says. So sometimes it's putting your arm around him saying, oh, I feel with you. But come on, let's get off that self path and get back on God's. Wisdom is too high for a fool in the assembly at the gate. He has nothing to say. <laughs> I put next to that, I don't, wanna, I don't want to sound like a dope. I want, an, I want to be able to have an answer. If someone asks me a question... And those, if so, I just, it says, look for the fool. And the assembly at the gate, he has nothing to say. Or you, you don't dare stand up for what's right because you're just going to blend in and you just kind of go backwards like that again. No. He who plots evil will be known as a schemer. The schemes of a folly are sin and men detest a mocker. He who plots evil, he's going to be known as a schemer. See, there's reputation for you. And people are going to get your number. When they say your name, what are they going to be saying about you? What have you who have you represented? What, what do you stand for? If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Boy, verse 10, only a short two lines there. But that is so... 
so good. If you falter, if you falter in times of trouble, you know what? If you can't stand up under the pressure, if you find yourself drifting far too often, and you fall way back into that self all the time, and you are defeated, and you're depressed, and you're, you're discouraged, and you're down, and, and oh, my, oh, me, oh, my, and all this kind of stuff. He said, if you're faltering under trouble, you better take a look and see how small your strength is. How much have you paid attention? How much have you really listened and learned? How much have you applied Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does, he, does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Ugh. You know what I wrote in my Bible by that one? Abortion. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. It's about anything that we are just letting go because we think, oh, you know, can't do anything about it anyway. I go back to Romans 10. Remember, we saw this last week in Romans 10 where it says, hey, how can you expect someone to believe if they don't know what to believe in? And how are they going to know what to believe unless you're, they're hearing? And how are they going to hear unless you and I are saying something? And all this excuse, oh, I didn't really know about it. Oh, that's crazy. It's just that day is a wake-up call, Solomon. Thank you. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. He said that before. Wisdom is like a honeycomb. It is sweet and healing. And he brings it up again. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. Yeah, it makes your soul. That's why we can love our soul. Because, because the more wisdom that we apply, our soul gets sweeter and sweeter. And it gets more healing to not our own self, but to others who are listening or watching us. If you find it. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul if you find it. I circled that. It's such a teeny little word, but it makes all the difference. It's, it's, there again, there's your choice. Yes or no, wisdom or folly, um, God's way or mine. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. If sometimes the matter between heaven and hell. Do not lie in wait like an outlaw against a righteous man's house. Do not raid his dwelling place. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. Do not lie in wait like an outlaw against a righteous man's house. Someone tried to do this. Someone was like an outlaw to me for about, about four or five months. They laid like an outlaw against me against me they tried every area of my life if they didn't work in this area they tried another one their goal was to somehow get some kind of dirt some kind of smut some kind of so there take her down kind of thing you think are there people like that unfortunately there are and that's why Solomon says I got to put this in here because you know there's such there's this green-eyed monster thing there there's so much going on in self and they'll do whatever it takes 
And she went after every area of my life until I finally confronted her and said, I am onto you. And you have tried to, to spur others against me. You've tried to talk to other Bible study ladies and tried to get them out. You know what? You tried to come down on time. You tried to do with my children. You tried everything. And I am onto you. And you have hurt me, but I want you to know I have popped back up. That, to me, Solomon is saying living this kind of life is not easy. And whether it be non-religious people or even religious people who are, who are not letting, who are letting self take over and have drifted back. To, it's going to be hard out there. But I'm telling you, he says, I just want you to know righteous people that are willing to buy into this wisdom, who are willing to pay attention and listen and apply it. You're going to keep coming back up. They're not going to be able to get you. And then just a reminder, do not glow when your enemy falls, when he stumbles. Do not let your heart rejoice. And you think, oh, come on, I wouldn't do that. But you know what? Sometimes if someone goes down, we think, good, they had it coming. <laughs> they got what they deserved. Just remember, an unforgiving spirit, a grudge, anything that you hold on to, that is going to affect every area of your body. And so Solomon is saying, just let it go. The Lord will take care of it. He will deal with it. Because what, what was another proverb? Be sure of this. The wicked will be punished. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious or the wicked. For the evil man has no future and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. He, it's like he comes back and says that. Okay, just know. The Lord wins. And you, when you're on his side, you win. Though do not fret when it looks like they're getting away with it. And I'm going to end today, and I think we've really covered it. I love verse 26 where it says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. I don't know about you, but I don't give kiss on the lips to just anybody, you know. So, you know, I better know them well, and, um, and I better trust them a lot. And so I appreciated that because he said an honest answer is, is priceless and is trustworthy, and, and it's it's like a kiss on the lips. And then, then he finishes, and he talks. And you, I first thought he was talking about laziness again. You know, he kind of gave that example. He, he said, I learned something. I learned something. I watched those who were lazy. I watched in their fields. Weeds grew, and they had no food at the end of it. And he was going on. In other words, he's saying, you know, if you don't earn it, you're not going to get anything. If you don't work for it, it's not going to come back to to benefit you. And then I thought, Solomon, thanks for stretching me to see that it's not just in the physical, that when, when you physically don't work, you're not going to have the productivity, you're not going to have the results of putting in the effort. But he's also talking about here spiritual laziness. And beware of that, that we can never get so spiritually confident, I call it cocky, spiritually cocky, that we don't see how important it is to stay in God's Word every day, to come to Bible study, to see that, that we need to keep clinging. I say this over and over. The closer I get to the Lord, the, the harder I hold on because I find out I need it so much. I, I'm understanding more and more the pull of the drift and pulling me back to my old self. So he's saying you can't afford to not put in, buy into wisdom, put in the work, put in the effort, put in the time, 
Put in the application, even though it hurts. Take a look at that heart of yours. Realize where you have a rough edge that needs to be, and dare admit it, be confronted with it. He says, because if you aren't willing to do the work, you are not going to reap the benefits. You're not going to see the growth, the spiritual growth. And I have to say, there is just something I am very grateful for. Not just, I'm grateful for my salvation. Don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for the, the, what the fruit of this spirit really is. I'm grateful for that too. But I am so grateful for day after day of Bible study, how it causes one to be spiritually mature. I am grateful for spiritual maturity. I'm grateful for spiritual growth. I have a long way to go. So do you. But he says, I'll push you. I'll keep pushing you in the forward direction. You will see more and more. You'll get more treasures. You will understand more and more. I'm grateful for spiritual growth, and I'm willing to work hard, and I hope you are too. I want to see that productivity. I want to be able to look, look back and say, boy, have I changed. I love what I'm seeing. Spiritual growth, it's a beautiful thing. That's what Solomon is saying. You work at it, you'll get the results. So have a good week, everybody.